I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. All right. So uh, this week, we're talking a little bit about uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, and just about how to talk to kids about that, because it's definitely uh, something that is right there in your face and I uh, can't really get around not talking about it. Um, so I wanted to discuss that a little bit. Uh, so I'm going to invite my guests to introduce themselves. We'll, we'll do our name pronouns, uh, where we're from and our relationship with kids. I'd also love to hear a little bit about what your sort of connection, connection to the topic is. So I'm Dr. Jeanne Barbocoté. I, uh, my pronouns are she, her. I come from Montreal. Uh, my relationship to kids is mostly that they're my patients. Um, I'm a resident in family medicine. And my relationship to the topic is that being a resident in family medicine, I work in clinics and hospitals, and I'm usually pretty much on the front lines of um, this pandemic. My name is Cindy Schaffner, and I my pronouns are uh, she and hers. I am from uh, Wyoming currently, but I used to live in Kentucky and South Korea. I also have, I was a music therapist for 10 years. I worked in pediatric oncology um, as well as my own private practice for a while Mm -hmm. until I started my family. And I decided I I really uh, I had to choose unfortunately between my career and family because I, mm-hmm. I'm legally blind, and I sort of knew that that was uh, going to push my boundaries and my limits. Mm-hmm. So I needed to be a stay at home mom. So that's what I am now. I currently have two toddlers, a two year old son, and a four year old daughter. Oh wow! Yeah, so you know life's so you busy. Keep busy. <laughs> it is for sure. So we live in a very small town and we were very limited on activities to do. And, you know, just in our in natural environment here. And we're also still in the middle of winter. We're in a very high altitude. So we actually still have snow on the ground. And so when the whole quarantine thing hit, uh, my kids could not understand why we were not able to go to the family rec center, why my oldest was not going to preschool. She couldn't understand why she couldn't see her friends or go to her favorite playground places and things like that. So they immediately noticed the interruption in our daily routines and life. And so I was really kind of struggling. How do I explain these changes to you know, a four-year-old and even my two-year-old son was noticing these and, you know, it, it, we're on like what, week five now or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, the social isolation is, is I mean, social interaction is very key. It's very important at, at, for the, for development at these ages. And so he is really starting to see those in his own way at two years old as well. So just trying to figure out how to navigate all this with their difficult ages and and ability to put things at their level so that they understand what's going on. So I guess it's my turn. So my name is Ikram Amil. I'm a global health specialist. I'm currently residing in Dakar, Senegal. 
and I'm a mother of three sons, eight, six, and four years. So very much involved with children at the moment <laughs> of the confinement 24-7, actually. And of course, before that, I also specialize in maternal and child health. So okay. yeah, on my end, I think we are all globally concerned with the coronavirus, unfortunately. I'm not currently working on the front line. I'm, um, I'm volunteering at the place called Village Pilots. That, but as a healthcare professional, I'm the one who has to talk to people, fix all the misinformation going around. So I deal with that a lot. And of course, um, um, at home with the children explaining it and here in Senegal it's actually a very hot topic no like we are mostly confined we've been confined for over a month now Mm. but the rare occasion that we do go out is the only topic of conversation online in person (laughs) in the taxis everywhere on the radios it's coming from every angle actually because everyone is talking about it constantly everywhere even though we're not specifically talking to children we have to be aware that they're always there they're always hearing it and that makes it so much more important to actually address it with them like directly as well because they are present of course for us we are confined so they're even more present than usual but in general children they they they're sponges so they hear everything and they pick up on our moods and like the general atmosphere quite a while quite a lot oh absolutely they they hear a lot and they can even just our energy you know if they can sense you know if we're worried about something if we're upset about something you know they can they're smart they can sense that even young kids and so uh just shifting gears a little bit before we start sort of dive into the topic um i we talk a lot on the podcast about uh you know sort of questions that are tricky to answer or maybe that catch us off guard and um so i'm curious if there's ever ever a time that a child asks you a question that you weren't prepared to answer oh my gosh yes You know, I the one that actually stands out to me the most and uh you know, my my kids, I know them well enough that generally it is rare that they catch me off guard. Mm-hmm. So, I am actually pulling from an experience when I worked in pediatric oncology. There was a very young girl at the time. She was maybe 6 or so, give or take a year or so. And she had cancer. She was, you know, just in the middle of treatment and on the unit, you know, all the time. She was what we called a frequent flyer. And um, one day in one of our therapy sessions, she asked me, would you take the cancer yourself to so that I wouldn't have it kind of thing? And I think someone may have said that to her. And, and so she just had this curiosity about that concept mm-hmm. of, you know, some, sometimes, you know, grandparents or older people were like, oh, honey, I wish I could take this from you or, oh, I wish it were me yeah. instead of you kind of thing. And so that was the first time someone so young said that to me and asked legitimately, just honestly, like she wasn't, you know, being sweet. It wasn't coming from any yeah. kind of, it was from a very pure place. And she was just really just flat out, out of the blue, asked me that, you know, and I was like, uh, 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 uh. 
Yeah, I think we we talk about this a lot, but I think it's also so different. Like when your own kids are asking you something, and when there's some kind of yes. professional boundary. Like if you're an educator, if you're a nanny, yes. if you're a doctor, if you're a therapist, mm-hmm. if you're you know when there's that kind of professional line. Like I, a lot of times, kids will ask me questions, and I'll be like, well, I know how I want to answer that question, but I don't right. know how your what your parents' values are about that thing, or if they want yes. me to be the one giving you a discussion about like death or about like you know um, right. sex or about whatever. To start this off bit lightly last year my then five-year-old son woke me up around uh, 5 a.m to ask me like very serene like he was very serene he just tapped me on the shoulder he said mommy mommy like what what son what is it it's like how does one get married it's <laughs> a very important 5 a.m. question. <laughs> I'm like, how long has this boy been up thinking about this? And why waking <laughs> up? He's five. Oh my gosh, that's so, it's so funny the things that, you know, the things that they come up with and the things that they want to know. <laughs> and the time they want to know things. It's never right when you expect it or when it's a time to have a conversation is just really no. random <laughs> at random times so let's bring it you know back back to the topic a little bit i'm curious you know how we would explain what you know a virus is slash you know i think that's kind of the foundation for talking about what the coronavirus particularly specifically is but how would, would we explain what a virus is what the coronavirus is um you know if a kid just came up to you and said hey what's the coronavirus you know how could we answer that question I think uh, depending on the age and maturity of the kid, you can always relate it to other viruses that they might have had in the past, uh, be it the cold or the common cold or the flu or chickenpox, things like that. And then just kind of go from there and explain the different symptoms. With a kid who doesn't have any concept of what a virus is, you can kind of introduce it as you know, virus is uh, a virus is a sort of a living a living thing. It, it's debatable. <laughs> very very tiny things that can uh, live in our bodies, notably our noses and throats and blood. And sometimes they can make us sick, but not all the time. And they can be transmitted from one human to another. Sometimes from one human to an animal, and vice versa. Yeah. Two tips come to mind right off the bat for me. And first, you know, you always, first thing is you always want to be age appropriate and you always want to take into consideration, okay, what is their understanding? And if you're not sure what is age appropriate, what do they understand or whatever, I usually always come back at them with some other probing questions to help guide you in that. Um, And then the second thing is, is I always try to be as honest as I can. Some people like to beat around the bush. Some people, (laughs) you know, they will kind of tell a bunch of, you know, white lies to kind of like, oh, nothing to be scared of here. Nothing to be nervous. Oh, it's, it's, oh, it's nothing that you need to be concerned about, you know, kind of thing. Or they'll, they'll just discard their curiosities or their own valid concerns. And so I, um, always try to be as honest as I can and and think of their age and where are they at and that's where I start so you know when my four-year-old 
you know, first started hearing these terms around the house and on the news, I wanted to first make sure I buffered her from any, you know, unnecessary anxieties, concerns, fear, because number one, that's not where her brain needs to instantly go. She doesn't, I don't want her to see those as valid responses for her. You know, we don't have a huge outbreak in our area, so no sense for panicking. And so, you know, my husband and I, we always have very calm tones when we are speaking of it. You know, I, I always want to consider where are they coming from. And if they, the younger they are, the sim- the more simple I keep it. I don't over explain. I don't go into all kinds of scientific detail and, and new vocabulary and all that stuff because they're already being bombarded with new vocabulary, right? So keeping it simple, keeping it just direct and honest. And I think for younger kids, like my daughter, four, five, six years old, framing it within a story, I think also helps. You know, there's a lot of great YouTube videos already out that have some excellent illustrations and I'm legally blind, but I can still, you know, zoom in and see some of the beautiful artwork um, that people have done that explain it in such a way that is so easy to grasp. So one example is, this is how I explained it to my daughter. We explained viruses as families and there's all kinds of different types of families. Like there's different types of animals and they have their families and all kinds of different types. And some are more dangerous than others. And so I told her that, you know, this is just a new family and this family, it's, it's, it's a new family of viruses. And because it's new, we aren't used to fighting it. And because we're not used to fighting it, our bot, it likes to stick onto our bodies, jump in, and that's what makes us sick. And she's, we call them sick germs or sick bugs. So that's the terminology that, you know, I introduced to them, like my son is two. I'm just now introducing to him the, the word sick bugs or sick germs, whichever one they want to latch onto. And, you know, I kind of just go from there, keep it simple and let them ask questions, you know, answer to my best ability, or if I'm not sure where to go, or if that's where I need to stop, you know, I'll ask them, check their understanding. Does that make sense? That kind of thing. And I think also too, the older the children get, though they're observant little buggers, right? I mean, gosh, they absorb more than we give them credit for. And that includes the news. A lot of people think that kids tune the news out and generally they do, but they still pick up on tidbits, little little things here and there and tones. And I think that's where some misconceptions can form. Mm-hmm. So by probing them and asking what their understanding is can also highlight maybe some misconceptions that they have already formed and then you can quickly correct those. That's pretty much what I've been using. The only thing I would add to that is I am very careful with the words I use to describe. Of course, as you said, depending on the age, but I'm very conscious of avoiding the words creature because that's instills fear in children from my perspective and like things like make a home and things it's makes it very quickly too scary to the imagination of an under 10 year old child what i've been using to explain to them of course there's quite a lot of things like cartoons that have been made to explain to show this to children but what i've done is to uh, explain to them like when 
we sneeze that there's droplets. This is something like even a toddler understands that when you sneeze, there's droplets that come out. And then I say in that water is dirty. Like when they're very small, I just say it's dirty. And if we, we uh, get it into our bodies and I explain to them by touching our mouth or our eyes or our nose, then it can make us sick. So that's how I've approached it with uh, smaller children. I think that's great. And I think also, you know, the kids that you're interacting with, you know them best and you know, you know, what words uh, might work and not work for them and what they, their sort of level of understanding, depending on their age. There's also a good book that's just very simply called What Are Germs? Um, And it's by Katie Danes. And that's a really good one for explaining to younger kids sort of about what is, you know, what is a germ. And then there's also germs are not for sharing which is part of a series and that is by elizabeth verdick yeah it's (laughs) it's part of a great series the ones that i'm more familiar with from working with toddlers are teeth are not for biting and hands are not for hitting those are both also great great resources for that so i actually uh came up with none that i came up like it's quite a common way of explaining to kids is i took a bowl of water and i put black pepper in it grinded black pepper like powder and I put it in and I asked each of them to dip their fingers in it and then we had a whole discussion of how the pepper then got stuck to their finger and then we did different activities like I asked one of the boys to go and open the door and we see how much of it gets stuck on the door handle what if we shake hands how does it get mixed then and so we did these experiments and that's what I used to explain to them like how we have to be careful what we do with our hands and uh, we even discuss like okay what if we now one of us accidentally touches our eyes and there's pepper in it like how would it feel and this and then I made the bridge into like the bacteria being like pepper but we don't feel we don't feel the sting but the burning we would feel from the pepper now the body inside can feel the burning even if outside we don't feel the burning somebody literally just showed me this earlier today i was like that's so smart (laughs) and so simple and it's more like children learn better like when you can they can concrete concretely try Mm -hmm. it out and like they can visualize it because all these things germs bacteria viruses is very abstract to anyone up to 10 so it's quite good to find ways to make it uh more visual for them. It's funny that that is much better than the version that I learned, which was to do it with glitter, which will never get off of you. I'm going to throw this one suggestion out there because a lot of my blind and visually impaired parents out there, you know, a lot of us are struggling with the, um, well, what, number one, mostly with the whole homeschooling thing, because there are a lot of mm. things that teachers and schools are using that are not completely accessible. And and so a lot of um, blind and visually impaired parents are looking for books because we can't see the printed versions, but they we still want to introduce our children to these books and to, you know, all these resources, even though we can't see them. And so I always tell people like, hey, if you have a book if you if you wrote something or anything like that I don't care if if you have a YouTube channel or not or whatever but make a video just read the book Mm -hmm. and 
and you know, let me know. Um, you know, I, I'm I, I I have a YouTube channel, but I'm I'm wanting to build a playlist within my YouTube channel of people reading things that they have written, books that are appropriate for those of us blind and visually impaired parents to introduce to our kids. You know, that way when we can purchase the physical book, but since we can't see it, we can play the YouTube video and then have someone read it as we go along with them. I know there's, you know, copyright issues and things like this where people don't want their books read on the internet. But like, I I think about this from a, a logical point of view and I'm like, listen, if your book is on the internet, people who are gonna buy it are gonna buy it anyway. They're gonna want to have the actual copy of that book if they see, like that happened the other day, I was on Instagram, an author was reading their book, it was called Ramadan Around the World. It was excellent. I lit- I immediately went and bought it on Amazon. I was like, this is a great book. I love it. And I bought it because I have I had the means to do that, right? If I didn't have the means to do that, I could still enjoy the book. But guess what? I'm not going to buy it anyway because I don't have the means to do it. And, and then also it's adding on that layer of for folks who need that accessibility, it's now there. But I, I don't think that the argument that like it's going to make people not buy the book is really all that valid. Because also like, guess what? There is a place you can get free books. It's called the library. Like, and you're not like, I'm not going to put my lookbook in the library. Like, what? <laughs> and, and it's still protected intellectual knowledge, right? I mean, even if you're not even showing the illustrations in the video, I mean, because the blind and visually impaired, you know, us parents, even though we have a visual impairment, like my children at this point, I mean, they're tested every year, but as of right now, they do not have an impairment. So I want to introduce them to all the visual illustrations and things like that. So yes, I would be purchasing the book. And we have a huge selection of books that I can't read to them. I can't see them. They don't come in an accessible form for myself. So my husband is the reader, but he doesn't have, he's He's the full-time worker and, and has a lot on his plate and doesn't always get the chance to do so. So, yeah. So, I mean, I know that there are a lot of, you know, copyright laws and there's a lot of people that are fearful. But if you're going to publish something for free anyway, you know, hey, go ahead and, you know, make someone make a recording of it and, you know, let's make it accessible. And, yeah. Definitely. And I think that's what's nice, too, about some of the that a lot of them are in PDF format is that you can zoom in. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. obviously, you know, depending on the level of your disability, like it might not be helpful for everybody, but for some people, it is nice to be able to zoom in for sure. I know even for, mm-hmm. for me, I, I, I need things to be like huge. So I talked about this a little bit already just in talking about that little experiment, but I was wondering if you have any thoughts about how we can explain how germs spread to kids. With kids who may not be amenable to, to those kinds of techniques, I think well, you can always improvise other things in the same vein. Uh, with the coronavirus, it's mostly a, um, a, it's not an airborne and it's not just contact either. It's also um, particles, sneezing, coughing, and touching surfaces that have received such particles. So if the kid is uh, old enough to understand these concepts, then you don't have to go any further than that. But otherwise, I think, um, making it a game with the pepper or you know may take another kind of spice or even just you know playing with some uh some goo having the kids play with some goo and see how it kind of just 
stretches everywhere. You, you put it on the door handle, put it on your face, and then if you hug somebody, it goes on their face. And if you put some in your mouth and you cuff it out, then it goes onto somebody's face. And then you try and wash it. So illustrated games are good for small kids. Honestly, even as an adult, I was excited about that pepper thing. I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> I think the I think the pepper in the water is absolutely brilliant. To add on to that, to help them understand is that germs can actually live for up to two, three weeks, depending on what kind of, you know, virus it is. But explaining an, the element of time on how those can live on those things for a long time. And so I would I would love to extend that experiment even further to see, okay, let's see how long this pepper can stay on this book or something like that, you know? And just each day, you know, and you can even like put, make a calendar activity out of it, you know, go by day. Oh, do you still see pepper flecks on this surface? kind of thing and that way they understand that you know you can wash the germs off your hands and that's certainly what we all need to do to stay healthy but we got to remember that the reason why we can't go out in public places is because we never know where these germs can be you know living like where what surfaces these things could still be on and that is you know another element of the danger and the, the safety issue. So that's, you know, that's one element that I would see as the next step to conceptualize because, you know, it, 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 there is a time element to this. So how, how could we respond, you know, if a kid is asking us, like, what happens if I do get sick? I'd be more concentrated, actually more on avoiding getting it. But uh, <laughs> that's been my focus, to be honest. And, but when it comes to like explaining it, I'm very much an advocate of uh, telling the truth and being quite simple about it. If I, a child was to ask, I would just uh, tell the truth how it is and emphasize that uh, it's not, uh, it can be uh, mild as it can be more severe, it depends. And it's not, uh, the, the symptoms are not the say, uh, as severe with each person. So uh, for kids, co the coronavirus is usually pretty mild. It'll be quite like the common flu or completely asymptomatic. So most likely what will happen if a kid gets sick is nothing. Uh, they'll be quarantined for a period of time and then they will go back to normal. If a kid is already sick with something else, has um, a chronic illness or an autoimmune illness, then they may become more sick, have more symptoms, and the symptoms of coronavirus are, you know, cough, um, shortness of breath, chest pain, loss of uh, the sense of smell or, or taste, uh, belly pain, diarrhea, fever, stuff like that. And uh, But you don't want to go into too many details and, and scare the kids. So if your kid is healthy and uh, is not high risk, then I think you should stay in the most likely nothing, if not nothing, a few symptoms. And if your kid is uh, immunocompromised, then you could take more time to explain the, the possible consequences. But keep in mind that they already have a good idea of 
of what illness is, they understand more than you think. Don't scare them either. Don't make them feel like they're kind of the the black sheep that's gonna die because they get the virus. So for kids, usually not much. For adults, can be more severe, especially for older adults with uh, pre-existing conditions. So that's why we we do all that we do to protect those vulnerable people. I never want to plant anxieties in their head. Like I don't want to plant seeds and let their little minds run away with it. So I am usually really, really cautious and I just let them know, you know, well, when you have, when your tummy's upset, this is what we do. And when you're feeling like you have a fever and, you know, we have a doctor's kit here and we have baby dolls and all kinds of animals and things that we like to play doctor on. And so if, if my daughter who's four would come to me, you know, I would usually just go to those activities. Let's play doctor. Let's see what happens if, and, and I'll show you all the things that we'll do if you get sick. And, you know, we'll talk about the thing, you know, going to the doctor, which she's been to several times, you know, she's, she's learned, (laughs) you know, what that is and what that means. And, you know, she usually always asks if she's going to get a shot or not. So that seems to always be her number one concern when you mention the doctor's office. But, you know, I think talking her just through what her past experiences are building on that and just reassuring her that we are going to take care of her, that we are going to do everything that we can. And if mommy or daddy gets sick, we're going to do everything that we can to help make each other feel better. And for her, I would leave it at that unless she has additional questions. I don't want to plant any unnecessary anxieties like, oh my gosh, well, you know, I guess I, I will be the only one and, and we'll just have to, you know, I don't want, I want to, I'll just keep a, a very cool, calm tone and let her know that, hey, mommy and daddy, we got this. We're, we And reassure her as much as we can because I think anytime they have fears and anytime they are looking at a lot of uncertainty and even amongst the adults, like they can sense when even we don't know what we're, <laughs> when we're not really sure either, they can still sense that. So I think just providing enough reassurance and walking them through, hey, this is, well, you've been sick before. What did we do then? And build upon that. And I think also, you know, if they sort of ask further questions or maybe, you know, for older kids, I think reassuring them that it's it's not that, like the reason that we're taking all these precautions, like staying inside and doing all these things, is not necessarily because the disease itself is the scariest disease we've ever seen, but it's that we don't know, you know, we're scientists are working really hard to figure out how to treat it, right? And so we don't, you know, if everybody, and it spreads really fast, so if everybody got sick all at once, there wouldn't be enough doctors to take care of everybody. So we're trying really hard to make sure, you know, that that we don't get sick, right? And, but I think there's this idea, even in a lot of adults, there's sort of misconception that this is like this big, scary disease. And it is, it is scary because it's an unknown, right? Um, But for most people who are, you know, young, who are relatively healthy, you know, it, it affects us just like having, having a flu. And so I think, just reassuring them that it's not like this, you know, big, scary thing, because especially also kids um, are much less likely to get serious symptoms, too. So, you know, if they are, you know, and I don't necessarily know that I would provide all this information off the bat, but if they are asking further questions, I think reassuring them that, you know, hey, like, we're pretty healthy, and we're pretty, you know, 
don't necessarily need to worry about it being some kind of serious, scary thing. And so sort of going off of that, if a child asks you, do you know, do people die from coronavirus? How could we talk to them about that? Once again, I really believe in honestly. So I I have told the children that it's, it's a possibility that some people die, not all. But of course, I'm living in Africa where people are not so careful about children's sentiments so they easily like they have actually told one of my sons who is four who tried to greet shake someone's hands and they told him like no you can die don't do that like a coronavirus kills people if you shake hands and so my children are very much aware of the risks because of the environment we live in where people don't chew their words for the sake of children but uh, at the same time i think it's quite good because they then stand it's severe without them being anxious about it because they still see that people are quite relaxed so they pick up on that yeah you should tell your kids that if they ask um, that people do die from the coronavirus most of them don't uh, it's a um, small proportion who, of people who get the coronavirus might die uh, because they are older because they were already sick and it can be a pretty mean virus in those circumstances but most of the people who get the coronavirus make it out just fine. My four-year-old thankfully hasn't gone there yet, but you know, I think for the older kids, I would just start with probing, you know, because I want to know, okay, well, well, what do you think, well, what is death to you? You know, what, what does that mean to you? And based on their response, of course you want to be honest. And I, I like I say, I try not to beat around the bush if if I don't have to, but I also don't want to give, you know, too much detail, you know, if, if they're not, if it's something that they may not be ready for, because I don't want to, you know, scare them. Do, do people die from the coronavirus? Well, yes, they do. And that's why we are taking this so seriously. That's why we are being so careful. And that's why we are protecting each other and going back to that reassurance because, you know, is that is it the truth that people are dying? Yes. But that is also why we are having such a strong reaction and that's why we are doing everything we can to protect each other. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. We actually have a couple of exciting announcements today, the first of which is probably most exciting to me, and that is that we have an editor on board now. Woohoo! So the wonderful Tom Zalat and I will be joining us as editor. They also are actually the producer of the Upford Network, which we are proudly a part of. Definitely go check out uh, the other shows we have on our network. You can do so by going to www.upfordnetwork.com. So our next announcement is that we are actually partnering with A Kid's Book About, which is a really awesome publishing company uh, that has kids' books about all different kinds of things. A lot of the topics that we cover here, things like racism, things like body image, things like disability, all these kinds of topics that we talk about are also featured in these books. They're really, really wonderful. I would definitely encourage you to go check them out. And as a partner, 
we now have a really awesome discount code. So for $5 off your purchase, you can go to a kidsbookabout.com and when you check out, you can use the code RADCHILD, one word, no spaces. That's RADCHILD, R-A-D-C-H-I-L-D. So definitely check them out. I personally purchased a lot of their books. They're really, really amazing. We highly, highly recommend them. So the last thing out of the ordinary today is we actually have an advertisement um, for a cause that I am really proud to be supporting, and that is trans minor rights. So as a trans person, of course, this is a cause that's near and dear to my heart. So the mental health of transgender youth suffer when they're not able to access affirming care. At Trans Minor Rights, their mission is to help trans youth get access to life-changing treatment, puberty blockers. Puberty blockers are a proven, effective, and completely reversible treatment for transgender youth to help them manage gender dysphoria. Go to transminersrights.org to sign the petition encouraging lawmakers to pass legislation that will allow transgender minors to make their own decisions regarding puberty blockers. Join the fight to better the mental health of our youth by signing the petition today at transminersrights.org. Now I know that there's a lot of petitions floating around there. This is a totally legit organization, a totally legit petition. I've signed it myself um, and I would really, really uh, just be honored if you would consider signing it too. Um, Again, that's transminersrights.org and the link will be uh, in the show notes as well. And uh, now it's just time for our regular stuff. You can follow us at Radchild Podcast on Facebook, Insta, and Twitter. Uh, You can contact us by emailing us at radchildpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to our website www.radchildpodcast.com and go to the contact us section. In that section there's also a form if you would like to be a guest. We have lots of awesome upcoming topics so if you're interested in being a guest please please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. There's also a link on the site to our Etsy store where you can buy some rad merch. We've got buttons, we've got stickers, we've got postcards, all kinds of great stuff. So definitely check that out. If you would like to support us like our other lovely patrons, uh, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash radchild podcast and you can make a monthly donation uh, as little as a dollar a month and you can get all kinds of awesome rewards like bonus content, bloopers, even things like care packages and stuff like that. So definitely, definitely check that out. All right, so without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and Crystal. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books... We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. And so talking, talking about that 
that sort of anxiety. You know, if kids are feeling anxious during this time about everything that's going on, what are some ways that we can help them cope with that? I think one of the first steps is to ask what they've heard so far from school, from their friends, from the media that they consume. Uh, Ask if they have any questions, ask what they understand uh, to correct any inaccuracies or false beliefs that they may have or complete ideas that they have because children with incomplete ideas or children with wild ideas and uh, so complete the information that they have correct the information the information that they have and and from there kind of you know explain what we've already talked about that people can die uh, even though it's a small proportion that people may get very sick, that the spread is um, kind of impressive, and that we don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system. That's why we're trying to flatten the curve. If, if, if your child can understand, if, if your child is old enough to understand such a concept, that we don't want to have so many sick people at the same time that we can't handle them. Because we can handle somebody with the coronavirus. But what we can't do is handle thousands of people sick with the coronavirus at the same time. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that because I fully agree. Of course, uh, for us, per, like in our family, it didn't change routines so much. As I've al- always taught my children, they must wash their hands when they come home and we before eating and so forth. Like hand washing has always been a uh, like routine for us so actually didn't I just gave them a reminder I really like the uh, idea of like asking the children what they've heard I made an exercise of them uh, like I sat down with the kids and asked like what they have heard and how do they feel and like with the smiley faces like kind of what we use in hospitals like the scale of like different smiley faces how do they feel about it which actually allowed me to be reassured that my children were not anxious at all so that was quite good um more so where i um volunteer where with uh, street children i come across of course the problem of uh, it's not being so easy to discuss hand washing when there's no running water the constraints are so different than what we have at home. So then like putting more emphasis on diff- like hygiene of not shaking, not um, like sneezing in your elbow and so forth, kind of fixing the misconception that people seem to have that disinfectant replaces hand washing, which is really frustrating me personally. Is I see people disinfecting. They're using bottle after bottle, but they don't wash their hands. And it's really difficult to make people understand that it's actually hand washing that is more important and more efficient. Yeah, I've, what I always learned was that hand washing was like first and foremost, and then hand sanitizer was if you cannot wash your hands, you know, as sort of a last resort. Yeah. I think it's good to recognize that just like every adult has different coping skills and preferences for coping, I think it's important for us parents um, or any caregivers to note what those preferences are for the kids and build upon that and know, okay, what do they like to do? Okay. Are they, if they're extremely anxious, okay, let's practice 
are breathing or, okay, let's do story time. Let's do something that keeps them calm. And using those ways that they respond to maybe and maybe use those in the as the framework to address what is causing the anxiety. So when kids are trying to cope, if they already have coping strategies in place, whether they realize it or not, if they're a high anxious kid, they probably have already learned some deep breathing. They've probably already learned what makes them happy, what makes them relaxed. And so prepping these conversations by already putting those coping mechanisms in place, for example, you know, getting out a good story that introduces these concepts to them in a way that they will enjoy that won't cause any anxiety or putting them in their favorite room or uh, you know if they love music or love dancing okay let's let's pretend we're dancing and we're just gonna stomp all over these germs you know make it fun you know i think framework can really help when addressing these conversations for a child that is high anxiety and if if they're already, you know, there, if it's, it is kind of hard to go backwards, but if they're already there and that, that anxiety seed has already planted and it's already grown and it, it is difficult to work with, but you can do it. And I think model, that's where your behaviors and modeling can really go a long way when they see you being calm about it, when they see you, uh, you know, breathing through it and say, Hey, you know what? We got this. We are going to do our part to keep each other safe. And this is what we're going to do. And let's create a chart and let make it fun and engaging. And yeah, so I think every kid is different. Everyone's going to respond differently, you know, with their own coping preferences and just honoring that and recognizing that and, and working with that uh, will go a long way for each individual child. How can we help children build resilience during this time? This is actually a question asked by a listener. So resilience building in kids for me is mostly two things. One thing is you want them to kind of invest and rely on significant relationships in their lives that are not like their parents or their brothers or sisters, but uh, other close relationships like their grandparents or uncles and, and cousins or friends to have kind of an outside perspective, uncles and aunts, they will in- usually encourage you and support you and love you unconditionally without uh, having the discipline part. And I think that's important for resilience in kids to have somebody that's like safe to go to without uh, risking getting in trouble. And the second thing I think is the most important is that is kind of what I said earlier, to give them control, to feel like they have control over their lives, that they have they have what they need to succeed in the things that are important to them. So you may want during these times to uh, support them in their projects uh, that are truly important to them. and. I mean that. I, I mean, don't push your kid into something that is important to you, into some sport or some arts that you are living like through them. Ask them what they want to do, what's important to them, what they want to be successful in, and support them in that. 
so that they feel like they have influence, they have control, they can succeed in their lives. And that sense of control is super important for super, super important for resilience. I think it's it's important with kids to, you know, to help them have some kind of feeling of control, because so much of being a kid is being, you know, other people telling you what to do. And, uh, you know, I think about that. It's funny. I always joke that like, just because of the age that people usually need a nanny, as soon as they start saying no, I that's usually when I leave. But it's like, as soon as they, you know, what with toddlers, it's so easy because you're just like, we're going to the park. And they're like, like, they don't care. And then they start to, you know, at at that like two and a half age, they start to be like, I don't want to do that. I don't, you know, they realize that like, oh, I have like some agency. I've been working a lot with uh, building their self-esteem, like just to remember to say like, oh, wow, like something simple, like, wow, you picked the plate. Thank you so much. That was very considerate of you. And kind of remind children that their worth is not necessarily in what they can do, what they can achieve, but also in who they are. So that also allows them to be more resilient. I love that. And I think it's important for us to also remind ourselves that they're more resilient than we give them credit for oftentimes, (laughs) I find. But, you know, yes, there are those kids that do really struggle with change. They do really, really struggle with any kind of disruption in routines, the day-to-day norms, and cannot cope. You know, they're, they're just emotionally and not equipped for, and and depending on where you live, some of the drastic changes going on. And so, you know, to build up resilience, I think a lot of it, honestly, is going to stem from modeling, giving them an example to pull from. You know, if they see you with a positive attitude, then they are going to try to be more positive. You know, they're going to learn those skills from you. So modeling that within the household, I think is key. You know, if they see you putting forth the effort to cope and to think positive and to think creatively, okay, what are we going to do inside the house today? That I think can go so much farther than anything else. So my last sort of real question before we start to wrap things up is just, you know, I think children tend, you know, most children, depending on their age, right, and just who they are as a person, but children often really like to be helpers and they like to fix things. And I think, you know, if a, if a child asks, you know, what can I do to help? How could we respond? Well, first and foremost, respecting the rules for social distancing and for hygiene, you know, basic rules that are going to help keep everybody and themselves safe. After that, you know, taking care of themselves to, you know, the extent that they're able, uh, helping take care of their brothers and sisters or their pets, um, taking a little bit of uh, responsibility, learning some new stuff, trying to uh, make efforts to keep the peace in the home while we are quarantined is a good one, I think. I've had a lot of uh, families struggle with that uh, recently when I was doing follow-ups I could you know I could hear the arguing from the phone and uh, yeah if you are a kid that's old enough to understand the concept of keeping peace then uh, (laughs) you can try that otherwise you know 
calling uh, families and friends, your grandparents, keeping contact with people who may be more isolated is a nice thing to do to keep your community connected. Putting up the rainbows in the glasses and the windows, that's nice too. I had a coworker recently who's working very closely with COVID patients say that, well, you know, it would feel good to, to have a thank you note or a thank you card. So, you know, maybe if you feel up to it, a thank you card sent to a hospital could make somebody's day. So Yeah, absolutely. I had a, I have a nurse friend as well who said that they really, you know, really makes her day. And even, you know, other essential workers too, right? I think about that all the time. You could make a little note for your postal worker. That's easy person to someone to you could, you know, even like I, I bet a grocery store clerk has never received a thank you note from a child before. All of those kinds of things, there's, you know, there's sort of practical things and even like fun things you can make an activity out of like that, like making a letter, you know, you, you're bored, you don't have anything to do. Let's write a letter to our essential workers. But I've told like uh, children in general, when they ask about that, I, my first response is always like, just be your awesome self. But then I just remind them, like I go through with them, like, what do you know? So you know how to wash your hands really well. You know not to touch the uh, the neck of the soap bottle. You know how to do it with the palm of your, like the back of your hand. So you don't add germs and like you do it very well. So you can help by showing a good example. Keep doing that. So then people will see you do that and then they'll pick up. And if somebody asks, you can teach them that. So kind of like reinforce like what is important, but at the same time that they're making an awesome job of washing their hands. By giving them certain tasks, like, okay, here's what we can do. We can, we, we need, can you help sanitize the doorknobs? Can you help by making sure your little brother has washed his hands and brushed his teeth today? Or, you know, giving them little directives helps give them a sense of control and, almost like a little mini mission like we're going to we're going to conquer this together let's let's be superheroes and we're going to fight this together frame it on their level but by giving them directives and giving them a sense of control is giving is letting them know that hey this is how you are helping this is how you're contributing to all of us being safe and beating this it can be as so little as just making sure they're washing their hands or from helping you sanitize the house. But you can take it a step further if they're older and you're working on community service. You can go, you know, pick some flowers if there's flowers blooming in your area and just leave a little basket on someone's doorstep. You can, you know, make a meal. Like if, if your daughter or, or one of your children like to cook in the kitchen with you, you know, think of someone maybe in your church or in your neighborhood or something like that who might like a home cooked meal. Doing little things like that to help the community, especially, you know, a lot of the community members that are suffering, you know, from a job layoff, they are struggling to put food on the table, things like that. Those are good lessons. I think this is a great time to really teach our children community service and, and the value of taking care of each other when we're down and helping each other pick each other up. So speaking of, you know, kind of fun things like that, you know, how can we sort of make staying safe and healthy fun? Like we were talking about with the pepper, Do you have other ideas for things we could do like that. 
I have boys, so we are very competitive. So I keep making these challenges for them because it actually keeps them busy and then they're not doing anything they're not supposed to be doing and they really thrive on it. So we made this challenge. I actually saw it online and kind of regretted it later when I realized I have to do it as well. It was this, it's difficult to explain, but like we lie on the on our backs so everyone takes turns and I put all the soft toys the very soft ones the teddy bears and so on piles them up near the feet and then there's a box above the head and without moving uh, your upper body and your hands no lifting your head you have to use your feet to put as many uh, soft toys into the box within one minute that sounds like fun fun but then I'm not as athletic as my sons so then it became really competitive because I couldn't lose and but it's really fun and keep asking me to do it again and again and that's when I regretted it because it's quite physical and I was doing it daily but it's fun I love that yeah two things jump into my mind right now you know with all the of course, the, the givens of washing our hands and all, all that stuff aside, one thing that I have found is nutrition is it starts to easily go as well as exercise and movement. So we are doing our best to make sure we are monitoring because it's so much easier now that we're all in the house to just load up on snacks. It's so funny, literally, as you were saying that, I was having a side thought of like, should I make cookies again today? <laughs> and and see, it's so funny because, you know, when we're all in the house, you know, where everyone loves to gather in the kitchen. And so next thing you know, we're all eating and we're snacking and we're skipping meals because we're snacking. And my kids are, you know, all of Didn't a sudden- have lunch today, guilty. Yes. So my kids, they're like getting like, triple the sugar amounts that they used to and so we're and then where are they going to run it and then where are they going to run around it exactly (laughs) exactly so we have the last few days i'm like okay we need to get this under control we need to check our nutrition we need to plan out you know okay when is snack time we need to make a routine of this um, in our day-to-day lives as well now that we're in the house in the kitchen the pantry doors open every five minutes we need to figure out a solution to this. So monitor, I think, the nutrition, make sure everyone is staying healthy and getting the vitamins and minerals that we need. And then also there's a, there's a lot of exercise coaches, a lot of people that are putting out some great content, whether it's like a Facebook live feed or on YouTube or just anything. I have seen so many people on Instagram too, posting, you know, movement exercises and little games that you can do with kids to keep them moving and engaged and get out some of that energy. And so we, my family, we've actually tried to do this uh, every day. We have a little video that we will put up on our TV and it's, you know, of a person leading a family and the kids through, um, you know, little exercises that you can do in place in your living room and we all do it together. But yeah, so we just try to do at least one family exercise together. We'll make it fun. Okay. Whoever wins this exercise gets to choose the next snack or whoever wins this exercise gets to choose the, you know, movie we watch for movie night. 
and make it fun, but we're doing our best to keep exercise and movement in our daily routine and making sure we're checking our nutrition. We've talked about, you know, the games uh, that you can uh, try new games, try new foods uh, to make uh, the quarantine a little more bearable. Uh, obviously, there's a Netflix party, but you don't want your kids spending too much time in front of a, a screen. But uh, you've got some museums who opened up their collections online, some operas and, and uh, ballet companies if, you're, if your child is into the arts. Uh, there's also some museums that have put out there some challenges to um, copy some works and then you send in your submission with your interpretation of, uh, of an art piece and you can win some prizes, I think. Yeah, there's so many things you can do at home with very little resources to make things interesting. Books online. I know that some libraries have opened up more uh, online books. Yeah, a lot of authors are doing read-throughs of their books too. Google away. There's all sorts of resources. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think Les Grands Ballets made an online class, a free online class uh, recently. Yeah, it was great. Aurélie did it, uh, my fiancé, and it was really cute seeing them... Uh, dance uh like do the class with their favorite dancer yeah just there's so so many things uh that one can do at home to to keep entertained that i, I can't possibly name them all but there was one interesting thing i would add that we talked about that i use with my patients now when i do follow-ups use every time i call a patient these days i always have a one bullet point that i'll do is Um, so how are you coping with the pandemic? It's important to check in with all my patients about that. So one thing that I'll tell them is, you know, if there's an activity that you gave up on before because you didn't have enough time or not enough en energy, then now is a good time to pick that up and, and go back to it if that was enjoyable for you. Go back to things that you know make you feel good. Just as we close things up here, uh, either of you have any personal projects or things to plug and if you want to be found on social media where can people find you yeah on my side it's not my project by somewhere where i volunteer here in senegal it's called village pilots so which comes to the aid of uh, street children uh, street boys uh, specifically and shelters them and uh, It does uh, reconciliation with families and teaches them life skills and basically houses them, feeds them and like helps them to become independent, keeps them up to 25 years and really help them to get a profession, get a job, get a house and so forth. So it's very amazing. It's a nonprofit organization. And currently because of the COVID-19, they're also doing a food, um, food help to the street kids that are not within the area in their village. So they come daily to the streets of Dakar, to the areas where uh, street kids gather and they distribute sandwiches and pretty much everything. The, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19, a lot of the help that was there from France, especially the medical help, all went back to France. They were repatriated, so they are really in need. Like, if anyone is interested, should go and look. They can be found on uh, social media. It's called Village Pilots. And, um, and uh, how is that spelled? A village, uh, V-I-L-L-A-G-E. Mm -hmm. Then pilot P I L O T E. 
That sounds like a great organization. It really is. It's been here for over 30 years, so it's well-established and it, it's doing an amazing job. I've been there personally, so I can vouch that actually the money goes there. It's always nice to hear personal accounts of, of things uh, organizations doing good work because you know it can it can be hard sometimes to give your money when you're not sure if it's going you know yeah especially in a country where you can't go and check it out for yourself I've been uh, in the truck that goes and gives the sandwiches they also post videos obviously uh, about the work they do but and it's well well established it's not something that's been sprung up just now so they've been doing this for a while so they know what they're doing as well so go and check it out if you also want to use it. Uh, anyone with children at home also want to talk about how uh, like how privileged we are to be stuck at home, that we have a home to be stuck in. So that's, I think, also a good way to discuss with children how, like, despite this pandemic, we have so much to be grateful for and how privileged we are to actually be able to have this conversation and all of that. And using the village pilot can be, can be a conversation starter, especially with older kids. I try to keep my um, my online persona separated from my medical persona, but uh, you know, I think this whole pandemic thing is going to inspire a new play for me. That's not medical. It's more of a uh, love and dating during a pandemic. Stuff stuff has happened to to me recently, so <laughs> I'm inspired. It's really funny. I keep seeing there is this is a weird plug, but there is a queer social app called Lex. I don't know if you're familiar Never with Never heard Lex. of it. Oh my gosh. It's it's great. Um, it's basically based on old like newspaper ads. So it's like okay. there's no there's no faces. There's no pro- I mean your profile is just like your name and maybe social media if you want to link your social media, but like there's no pictures. It's so I might just put up an ad that's like, hey, I'm looking for people to play video games with. And mm-hmm. you know, blah blah blah. And then if so you like my ad, you'll message me and like well, you know, or just like I'm looking for brunch buddies. And it could be, I mean, it could be every anything from that to like, you know, I want to make out with you, uh, you know, it's like <laughs> dating and friendship kind of thing. Um, but it, but it's so funny the way that everybody now is like, like all the ads on Lex are shifting to like, let's Netflix party something or like, let, but it hasn't <laughs> slowed down. Like people are finding yeah. ways to, you know, like, oh, yeah. like my friends and I have been playing board games virtually. Like there are so many, you know, so many cool things yeah. that you could do nowadays. Yeah. So Uh, In January of this year, 2020, I did create my YouTube channel. It is called Seeing Blind. It's S-E-E-I-N-G, Blind. And it's because I am legally, I'm a legally blind mom. And when I became a mom, I was so amazed at how many parents with disabilities were, number one, scared of being a parent because of ableism and because you know people would discriminate mm-hmm. and think that they could not be a good parent because yep. they are disabled and i wanted to fight against that and number two i also wanted to provide a resource for all of us parents who have disabilities and or you know not necessarily blind or visually impaired even though that's my perspective but i wanted to create a resource um, to let them know like hey i'm doing this you can do this too. This is my blind mom hack. So you can search <laughs> on YouTube, blind mom hacks, and you'll find me seeing blind. And I just share all my tips and tricks and just thoughts and opinions about usually parenting, you know, with a disability, but 
just life in general, um, being legally blind. And you can also find me on Instagram. My handle is uh, seeing underscore blind 101. And yeah. I won't take up more of your night. Uh, Thank you again so much for being here. And remember, stay rad. I'm Tom Zalatni, host and producer of Up for Discussion, the emotionally honest comedy podcast. What does that mean? It means we're not afraid to get vulnerable, explore the human side of comedy, and be super duper open about the ways that we're struggling to become better people along the way. Still have no idea what I'm talking about? Fair enough. Come give us a listen. The Up for Discussion podcast, available on the Upford Network and wherever else you get your podcasts. Hey there, campers. My name is Emmett, and I'm the host of Gaze in the Woods, a podcast that explores rural LGBTQIA2 experiences, from radical fairies and lesbian farmers to backwoods slam poets and community organizers organizing communities the community didn't know where they were all along. Can you have a pride parade when you're the only gay in the village? What is camp when you live in a trailer? And if a genderqueer bear shares their pronouns in the forest and nobody gets it, is anything real? I don't know, but let's find out together on Gaze in the Woods, an Upford Network podcast.